Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Hi, I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is a weekly conversation with someone that I find truly inspiring and it'll hopefully leave you truly inspired as well. My goal on this show is to talk with guests that have a great story to tell or who have achieved something remarkable in their lives through their story, hopefully get inspired myself, perhaps maybe just inspire you as well. My guest today is one of the most visible humans in Australian media for very good reason, the wonderful the smart, the intelligent, the very funny, the thought-provoking, Will Anderson. Follow him on Twitter. Do it right now. He's at Will with one L underscore Anderson. Will underscore A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N with one L. If you feel like it while you're on Twitter, the greatest thing you can do for me is to tweet out a link to this show, which is osherginsberg.com, O-S-H-E-R-G-U-N-S-B-E-R-G.com. Please, if it's for you, share it if you choose to. If it's also for you, please go and rate the show in the podcast app or in iTunes. That does me an enormous world of good. Thank you so much to the enormous support for the Darren Hayes episode last week. Biggest one-day download figures ever. I mean, ever. Humongous. Thank you so, so much. You are wonderful human beings. Um, If you subscribed, if you're still here, if this is the second episode you're listening to, hey, welcome. I hope this episode brings you much joy. There's plenty of other episodes to listen to if um, this one's not your bag. You may not know everybody, but I promise you that each and every show has an incredible story that will definitely leave you moved. Um, I'm very careful with who I pick and very careful with what I put up and I'm sure that you'll dig it. I'm really proud of the content that I'm making and I wouldn't put it up if I wasn't 100% behind it um what's going on with me well i have to get over a girl this week i know we, we all have to do it at some point um it's it kind of tough because 
I mean, I talk about this on my other show, Let Me Tell You Something with Natalia Perez. You can find that show on iTunes. Just type in Let Me Tell You Something or in Pocket Cast if you're on an Android phone. But yeah, there was, there was a girl. I was, you know, was kind of into her. Uh, it was the first time in quite a while. Uh, we kind of almost maybe had a thing, but ultimately it wasn't, it wasn't for her. I mean, and, but what's a guy to do? I mean, I come with a few added extras. I get it. There's no point in getting into something with somebody if they're not into it too. I mean, that's totally cool. People are allowed to not be into things. That's totally fine. And we, we, we were good enough to, to hang out. We were, we were good enough to kind of like have fun, to kind of like test the waters, but to swim any further out took a bit more than we had. And that was a bummer. It's okay. I mean, my part in it is that I pre-sold it a bit too much. That's on me. I kind of, you know, it's like before you've heard, had the final interview and got the job, you're buying things with the paychecks you haven't got yet. I was kind of doing that. So, you know, that's on me. But what's remarkable is that once she told me, I, I just didn't do anything. I'd, normally, I'd be in just a flurry of texting her, texting my mates, calling friends for consolation, trying to convince her otherwise. I just stopped. I didn't do a damn thing. I just kind of grit my teeth and let it pass over. And what do you know? I was okay on the other side of it. And it's okay over here. Still a bummer. But, you know, I remind myself that these things only work if two people are into it. And I get why she wasn't into it. I totally understand it. I have no, I'm grateful that it even happened, you know? Like, it's an honor to be nominated, as they say at the Oscars, when you don't win. Um, but my ego was rather complainy. So I got to at least sit and listen to some interesting stories my brain was telling me about what was going on. That was quite entertaining. Um, but it's all good. I'm grateful to be bringing another show to you. And I'm you know, grateful to take the energy that's been released around this and put it into other things like a photo project I'm working on. There's an exhibition coming up in Sydney um, that I'm a part of. I'll tell you more about that in coming weeks. Um, you know, and then just getting on my bike and riding 100Ks. <laughs> That's also helping a lot. Oh, speaking of photo exhibitions, if you are in Canberra, swing on down to the National Portrait Gallery. I'm very gratefully and very humbled and very honoured to be a part of um, Michelle Day's contribution to um, the National Portrait Gallery exhibition going on at the moment. Um, I had a really, really fun time on that shoot, and there's a lot of multimedia going on around that. I'm going to try and make it down to the gallery to do a talk at one point in a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, yeah, if you are in Canberra, let us know. Um, I'm on Twitter at Osher Ginsberg, O-S-H-E-R-G-U-N-S-B-E-R-G. Let me know if you, if you went and visited. Um, but yeah, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, girls, yeah. Look, it's working out. It's okay if I just run and eat right and get on my bike and just don't bloody do anything. It's actually okay. It's just, you know, I just have to be rational and realize that nothing at all is permanent. Even being single, that and there's a few other million women on this planet that I still may find some synergy with, so the odds are in my favour. <laughs> Let me tell you about my guest today, the, the great and powerful Will Anderson. He's one of the loveliest. He is one of the good ones. I don't care what anybody says about this guy. In my experience, my time of knowing him, he is just the loveliest. He's a lovely human being, and that goes a long way to explaining why he's had such a long and powerful career. Because honestly, I'll tell you right now, if you're an if you're an asshole, you just don't last long in the industry that I'm in. If you're a dickhead to work with, people were like, "Yeah, he's good," but we don't like working with him. With a very few exceptions, you really you just kind of have to be a nice guy to get to get on anywhere, basically. But Will is a powerhouse of work. I mean, 
TV, radio, podcasting, a relentless live schedule. He writes a new hour of material every year. I mean, it makes it probably the hardest working man in Australian media. Seriously, from the Gruen shows to his time in Glasshouse, his time at Triple J, his time at Triple M, his rigorous live touring schedule. He works his fingers to the bone and he loves it. And he and I, we get into why. And it's really great. He's wrapping up his final shows at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. His new show's called Willuminati. There may be some tickets. Good luck if you can find some. And he's about to be back on Breakfast Radio this week with Dave Hughes on the Nova Network. I think he kicks it off, if this is Monday in Australia, he kicks it off today. Um, So be listening out because he's back on FM Radio for a couple of days. What I do love about him, I love a lot about him, but what I love about him is he wants to know that he was tested at the highest level, which I can relate to. And he talks about moving to the US to start again, which is a story that I can also relate to all too well. The way he describes his upbringing and how that influenced his work ethic is a true masterclass in what it means to rigorously pursue your dream, no matter what industry you work in. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Make sure you tweet him. Let him know you heard him here. It's at Will underscore Anderson. That's Will with one L and Anderson with an O. Also, dig up his podcasts, Tofop and Willosophy. They're equally fantastic. There's gajillions of hours of entertainment there. So, enjoy this cup of tea with me and Will Anderson in West Hollywood, just south of Sunset Boulevard. Enjoy. This is good that there's tea involved because there's always tea when I do this show. Okay, good. Which I like, but people don't like the slurping. Ah, fuck them, it's free. (laughs) Seriously, people, what are you complaining about? Will Anderson. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Hello, Osha. How are you? I'm really good. I'm very thrilled to be in your beautiful home in West Hollywood. Thanks for coming to my home in West Hollywood. I appreciate that you've driven in LA traffic. People don't understand the sacrifice that you've already made to come to me. It's particularly, I live at the edge of the world. I live right. in Venice, yep. California, which is uh, 13 miles from here. And today it took me 65 minutes to drive. I was staying with a fabulous friend of mine called Jake Johansson, who's a wonderful American comedian. He's, been, he's David Letterman's favourite stand-up. Wow. So if you've never heard of him, which would be a lot of people have never heard of him, uh, you've probably seen him uh, 41 or 42 times he's done Letterman. Wow. So, yeah, they always get him before Dave's birthday because it makes Dave happy. That's, oh, yeah? That's how good a comedian this dude is. And he has a place out in Venice. And I stayed there one time when I was over here for three months and a friend of mine was doing a play and the play was on at eight and two weeks in a row, I missed the play when I left Venice at five. Yep. That's where I live. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's ridiculous. I can, I can run here faster sometimes. Right. I, yeah. But, you know, talking about traffic in LA is, it's all relative, I guess. You know, it's the same when you're trying to get from one side of Sydney to the other when the football's on at Moore Park. It's like, right. you may as well give up. But so people don't go from one side of Sydney to another. Like people, Sydney isn't a city. Sydney is a collection of suburbs. Yes, you're right. Like I, I live in a place, and this is not going to make much sense to anyone outside Sydney, but I, I live near a place called Watson's Bay. Now, if people want to imagine Sydney Harbour, the first time that the, the, you know, the first fleet sailed into Sydney Harbour, they sailed basically past Watson's Bay where I live, and it's a beautiful place. I was in Bondi one night, and people were like, let's go to the western suburbs. I'm like, we're in Bondi. This is the Western Suburbs. <laughs> I've gone five kilometres from where I live. Like, it's a city where people don't go anywhere. Like, I've found that even as a touring comedian. It's really amazing. When I tour Australia, 
I do the Melbourne Comedy Festival. I do it in the city of Melbourne, like, you know, as part of the festival. And everyone from Melbourne and surrounds will come in and see the show. In Sydney, people won't cross the bridge. No. They will not cross the bridge. Well, there's two bridges they won't cross. They won't cross the Anzac Bridge. They won't come across the... Like, I, I lived in Bondi for 10 years. Then I went to Balmain three times. Right. And two of them for work. Once to pick up something from the only guy. I had to get my double bass repaired somewhere and he was the only guy. I was like, wow, what's this strange world? It was like I was driving across we've, Middle we've Earth. We've started doing shows in different parts of Sydney. Fair so cool. when I tour Sydney now, I won't play one venue. I'll do a couple of shows at the M Moore. I'll go over and I'll do a show on the North Shore. I'll do something out in, like, you know, in, in like basically the heart of Sydney wow. because people won't come to you. You've got to come to them. Yeah. And I was saying this to a crowd in Chatswood uh, last year, this may, this sold-out crowd that wouldn't go 20 minutes across the bridge nah. to Enmore. And I said to them, you fuckers, you were just like, if we wait long enough, he will come to us. And they were right. <laughs> I did come to them. It's true. I couldn't wait for them to come to me. No. no. Uh, but where I, where I grew up in Brisbane, I mean, I grew up in a town when I lived in Brisbane, it was, you know, 30 minutes was a long way to go anywhere. It took me, it'd take an hour to drive to the, hour and 10 to drive to the Gold Coast right. from where I lived. I'm like, that was forever. Yeah, like it took me an hour and 10 to drive here today. Um, but, you know, I, I remember that. And then when I, you know, when I go to other cities around the world, I spent a lot of time in Tel Aviv. They go, it's all relative, man. They're like, where's that place? Oh, it's all the way in the north. All the way in the north is a 20-minute drive right. because everywhere is 10 minutes from anywhere. Right. Oh, no, no. I, that, I've had people in America, and this is one of the amazing things about podcasts, is I was in a place uh, called Denver, Colorado, and some people had driven through the snow from Albuquerque to, New Mexico. Come, to come to this gig. It's like an eight-hour drive through yeah. the snow. And to them, they're like, well, that's how far we have to drive to come and see you. That's as close to us as you got. Wow. <laughs> we couldn't wait for you to come to Albuquerque. Even Bugs Bunny didn't stop in Albuquerque. <laughs> So it's, uh, you know, I, I, you're right about those things being relative. I grew yeah. up in the country and uh, one of the, the things that I, because I used to have to get up before school and I would milk the cows and then I would catch a bus that took an hour and a half to get to school. So the idea of like getting somewhere or, or taking a long time to get to somewhere is ingrained with me. It's the same with personal space. Like my dad, for example, because there's been studies done that show that basically the less people they, there are somewhere the less comfortable you are with someone being close to you. So if you grew up in the city and you're constantly surrounded by people, that you're very com comfortable with body contact, with being close to people. If you meet someone, you're likely to give them a hug. Country people. If you've ever seen country people cross shake hands, they shake hands from as far apart from each other as they can. Like country people will lean in on one foot so that the hands can be as far away from their body because that's their natural personal and comfortable space so i think often in life the things that freak us out we've got to be aware of you know those inbuilt ingrained things mm. that are in us and you're like why am i so stressed right now oh that's right i grew up in a place where i have wide open spaces and i've been in a city for you know i've been in, in the middle of london doing shows for two weeks that's why i'm freaked out yeah right is that where the um so was that where the bmx years were Around there, fanging around on, in the back paddock. So people won't remember this. This sounds like, uh, you know, when I was a kid. But our parents, like we would get up in the morning, particularly being farm kids, but we would get up in the morning and we would get on our bikes and our parents would be like, come home before it's dark. And that was parenting. Yeah. Like, you know, we weren't on a leash. No. We weren't down at Starbucks having a baby Chino on a leash. It was literally, well, you know how to ride a bike. The rest is up to you for the rest of the day, right? Yeah. 
but also the idea, the capacity for imagination that instilled in me. Like, I've met a lot of comedians who came from the country, and my pet theory on that is I spent a lot of time alone in a haystack by myself, you know, imagining cops and robbers or imagining cowboys and Indians or, you know, imagining whatever I was imagining, you know, like I was making up my own stories. I wasn't constantly occupied. I was left to my own devices and my parents expected that I would just be able to amuse myself. Now, according to some people who give me feedback on Twitter, I still only amuse myself. But... (laughs) But it's paid for a nice house. But you were, you know, but you weren't, you weren't like fingering an iPad every fourteen seconds. That I, I was not fingering anything, Osha. Yeah. I mean, maybe that was one of the scenarios I was imagining. <laughs> maybe I was imagining my hay shed Playboy Mansion. I think we all did. Right. Once I found out about the Playboy Mansion, I'm like, there is such a place. Right. I want to go. Yeah. Fuck you, Nani. Yeah, you're number two now. <laughs> Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. You've barely got on the podium. You and your elevator. <laughs> Screw you. I'm all, I'm all about. I'm all about. And I've since been. I've been to the Playboy Mansion twice now. Right. And what is it like? Is it is it like what you imagine? Three in your times. Dreams? I've been there three times actually. Okay. Two parties and wants to interview Hef in his uh, in his movie room and upstairs in his. Uh, By the way, can you imagine if the first time you heard about the Playboy Mansion, you could flash forward? And this is a really interesting thing about life in general is. You wish you could go back and just tell your, like that nervous kid who just heard about the Playboy Mansion, didn't know what they were going to do with their life, that at some stage in your life, you would be having a conversation and forget how many times you'd been to the Playboy Mansion. Yeah. <laughs> That's how many, like, I've mean, been there two or three times, whatever. Like, yeah. I've, I've been there so many times, I don't even keep count of how many times I've been to the Playboy Mansion. It's uh, uh, creepy. Right. Is all I'd say. But Hef's a really interesting man. Yeah. He's so, a really interesting man. So in what way do you say interesting? Because I look at somebody like that and Well, can I'm, you think about, like, say what you will. Um, you know, polyamory is a, a thing that I don't understand. So, but good for him, good for them, hooray. Um, okay. However. Well, I want to get back to the polyamory thing. So can we just bookmark that? Yeah, we'll come, we'll come back to that. It's an interesting but discussion. But let's go back. Back to the 50s, right? There was a sodomy law in this country, the United States of America, that was very, very broad. And people were going to prison for the tiniest little things that people tweet, send Instagram photos of today. Like, for example, um, Hef was telling me that there was a... They started a legal fund, basically. They changed the laws of this country. They started a legal fund to fight the laws in these states. For example, there was a radio DJ. He was like 19 or something, um, or 20, and he was on the road. You know, the DJ would go out and introduce the bands. And then backstage, he, he got a blowjob from a groupie. Right. Went to prison. Right. Because that was sodomy. Well, that is... Went to prison. That is also... The, the great place is they're sending them to prison. Yeah. Where it's nonstop sodomy. Well, that's like, the thing. <laughs> But the, the I mean that is that is the worst solution. Yeah, right. This person's really into sodomy. Let's send them to a place where they are constantly sodomized. So Hef Hef they started a legal fund and they got this guy out. There was a right. woman who uh, told someone like at, at, at the hair salon or something or whispered across the thing that you know her and her husband had tried anal sex. Yeah. The two of them went to prison, like in the privacy of their own home. They, as husband and wife right. and consenting adults, had yeah. anal sex, and she said, "Oh, we tried it. It was really fun, or whatever." Yeah. Someone said to someone, they both went to prison because that was sodomy and they got them out of jail. And so Hef did a lot of that and he changed the sodomy laws in this country. So, And he was the first person to ever put a mixed-race couple on television in this country, first person to have a, an African-American uh, performance on television in this country when he did Playboy's Penthouse. Like, So he's a pretty revolutionary guy right. and he's in his late 80s dating 24-year-olds. Oh, yeah. I mean, but there's, all, there's also something about... Like, you can, you can be... A, 
a, a complex amount of things. Yeah. This is the thing that, I mean, it, it strikes me about Nelson Mandela, right? Nelson Mandela is as interesting and great person that we have had the privilege to live in the same generation as. Yep. Like in the future when they talk about the great people of our generation, the, that discussion will not be able to be had without Nelson Mandela's name. You know, and the, the way that he went from a pacifist to having to take up arms and the debates that people will have over whether that's terrorism or whether, as he said, it was pragmatism in that they tried every peaceful solution and when you've tried all the peaceful solutions, well, there's no point just being a martyr and going, well, we tried. Mm. You've got, if you think something has to change, then that's your last... All that stuff is absolutely fascinating. But he was a terrible pants man. Like, I mean, he had a string of, like, for a guy who was in prison for 27 years, he still managed to have a string of terrible relationships where he did the wrong thing. Like, just because he was flawed in one way doesn't, like, take away from the great things he achieved. I think that we so often think that people are perfect and then when they show one bit of not being perfect, we tear them apart as if that devalues all the great things that they have done. I think it's okay to like someone, and it's my attitude when it comes to things like religion as well. It's like, why throw the baby out with the bathwater? Like, just because I don't believe in, like, an organised religion myself. There are central tenets to all religions, like the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Like, the reason that's in every religion is that's a good rule. Like, as a general starting point yeah. for how we could get along as a civilization, yeah. like, at least keep do unto others in mind. Like, I mean, it doesn't work as a practice. I mean, you know, don't, like, give someone else a hand job so that you can have a hand job. I mean, well, doesn't, maybe you can. It doesn't but, quite work like that. But, but the, there, are, there are tenets and principles that you can learn from all these people. Yeah. And you don't have to like everything about them. There are terrible people over history that have made great art and there are... People who I know, and you know this from being in the industry we're in, they're people who are, whose public persona is of being nasty or being like a person who cuts people apart or whatever. And in real life, to their friends and family, nicest person you'll ever meet in your life. And there are people whose public persona is, you know, I'm everyone's friend. And they're terrible people in real life. Yes. And... But the, op the opposite is true, though, as well. Like, just because, just as you were saying, though, like the idea that because Mandela had a had a zipper problem, um, that we shouldn't throw everything away. Yeah, that was uh, his but, second book after because, a long walk to freedom. Because, it was like my zipper problem. Because <laughs> didn't people sell quite as well. But but, but people um, <laughs> people will say that you know because they just one thing wrong, then their whole life is terrible. I in my you know we often reverse that for sports people because they do one thing right. We let everything else just slide. I mean, right. he took a gajillion wickets. It's totally fine. Or right. he's the great NFL. He's got all the rushing yards for the year. He's, you know, particularly with this Michael Sam guy that came out um, two weeks ago just before the NFL draft, you know, and a couple of uh, op-ed guys are getting on saying, like, you have a problem with a gay man in the NFL, but you have no problem with a man that pushed his pregnant wife down the stairs. Get the fuck out of here. There was an amazing editorial. I wish I could remember the name of the guy, but uh, he was the Texas sports broadcaster, and people yeah. might have seen this clip. It went round. That's the what I'm talking about. about. And, like, this guy, if you, like, if you looked at him immediately... You're like, he's the guy who's about to come out and That's say... That's what I thought. Right? I thought the first five seconds, I'm, I'm totally guilty of that. I'm right. like, yeah. Big guy, big, like, the sort of bloke that just, like, a good old town Texas no like, sports guy, yeah. right? And he comes on, he does this editorial, and it's like, 
There's people who've raped people and they're playing in the NFL. There's people who've, like, you know, committed armed robberies and they're playing in the NFL. Now, we get into a more complex area there, which is can you separate the person from the thing that they do? I think that we make judgment calls day by day on that. Like, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, I, I think it's when the, th- the terrible thing they've done in your mind starts to outweigh the joy you got from the thing that they do well. Okay. So, for example, with Woody Allen. Now, I don't know what the, the facts of that case are, but the more that I read about it, even about the nature of his relationship, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong, but it takes away the joy of me watching his movies because I'm reminded of how terrible a person I have assessed him to be. And it means that I, go, I, don't, I can't get the joy out of watching his movies. But that is an in-the-last-six-weeks thing. I watched Blue Jasmine this year and thought Kate Blanchett was fantastic and really enjoyed the film. Uh, with sports people, I think it's a very similar thing. Like, did the joy they gave you playing sport, when does the shit they're doing off the field or, like, you know, the people they're rooting behind their missus's back or the, you know, the day they took their pants off and got drunk and it's blah, blah, blah. Right. You're like, well, yeah, that's... Like, if you'd only taken 300 wickets, yeah. <laughs> I would be, but he took 700, right? There's so... gotta, yeah, there's got to be a... There's, there's a magic number there. There's, a, there's, there's a, a, ma- a magic number there, which is... You know, I often, I often wondered about that, but um, there's far more... Just on that, there's far more wonderful... Particularly, like we're talking about sport, it's mostly men. There's far more wonderful men who play professional sport than there are not wonderful men, unfortunately. Absolutely. The, the not wonderful men get the... Um, get the publicity, which is a drag. But, you know, it's the same with the industry that we're both in. Like, the most terrible people are the ones that get all the, the headlines yeah. and the attention or whatever. Like, people love drama, you know. That's something that's in us and we have to have... Like, the more people who... I've been really enjoying your podcast. You know that I've, I've told you that off, off air and I've been listening along. And part of the reason I enjoy it is that it's really positive. And <laughs> you know what? Some people won't like that. That's Some okay. people won't like your positivity. They won't like the idea that you're trying to make yourself a better person and that you want to talk to... Like that you get people on and you want them to have a good time and you want them to feel comfortable. Some people, if you're working in radio, you know what it's like. There'd be somebody telling you, ask him this trick question or you gazump him with this or like get that quote about this thing. Or you wouldn't be able to talk to them about philosophies like this. You'd have to talk to them about, tell us about your movie and blah, blah, blah. There is something about, you know your positivity that I think is it's look it's people want the headlines they want the yeah the loud things but it's I think in this modern day we don't have to as consumers buy into that and if we as consumers consume the things that are good and positive and interesting and that make us feel good then eventually they will be the things that get the support at the moment we were talking about this with media you know the idea that everything is click-throughs now yeah you know so what you so we're, talk, we're talking about the, the, the headline makes right. you so outraged, you're like, oh, I've got to click on that. And if, it, like in this Ryan Holiday book, I was telling you about um, Ryan Holiday's book, uh, Trust Me, I'm Lying, Confessions of a Media Manipulator. The overwhelming research is that if something makes you angry, you'll click on it. Right. Never, if that looks like it's going to be a cute puppy on the other end of this click. It's only like, how these people are stealing your jobs. Do you want your job stolen? Right. Fuck no, but I'm no. clicking to see what's going to happen. And, and the thing is, the article probably isn't even about... Has that. nothing to do with it. In fact, what you'll find a lot of now, because it's about money and advertising, and at the moment the way they pay for these websites is they sell advertising based on how many clicks you're getting, because that's the only... You can't actually measure at the moment how much of an article someone reads. No. You can't measure... Not yet. Not yet, right? So what you find is you get sensational headlines that make you click through. 
because it doesn't really even matter if the story... But we have a responsibility as consumers. If every time the number one story on you know, news.com.au was like nine things you didn't know about Mrs Doubtfire or you know, Gordon Ramsay's you know, porn dwarf found in whole, well, we've, they can go, well, everyone clicked on that. We've got to seek out things that we think make us better as human yeah. beings. Now, I think as entertainers we have a responsibility to try to make things that people can you know, enjoy and be entertained by and also like, you know, are fun and interesting and kind of better for the world rather than just going for that clickbait. But I think everyone has a responsibility. Like, the idea of... I remember when there was a guilty pleasure, right? You remember, like, you'd be like, oh, you know, I watch this show, this show and this show. But as a guilty pleasure, I like, you know, The Bachelor. Right, <laughs> right. You would be surprised how many guys come up... Like, I'm trying... And it's usually always, and I'm not even lying... Law enforcement, oh, yeah. public services, right. fire department people, yep. guys at the immigration counter. Yeah, mate, me and the missus. Yeah. Love it. Right. We love it. Great show you can watch with the missus, right? <laughs> That's the thing. It's a great show you can watch with the missus. But, so in the old days, that would be your guilty pleasure. Yeah. Now, it's like there's nothing wrong with having a Coca-Cola if you have one Coca-Cola a week, right? The problem is now that you, people aren't having one Coca-Cola a week. They drink Coca-Cola every day. Coca-Cola is the only thing that they drink. And it's the same with our entertainment. Like in the old days, it was fine if there was like a story about Gordon Ramsay's porn dwarf found out a hole. Who doesn't want to read that story? But in the old days, the rest of the newspaper would be news. Uh And then you would have the little fun thing. Now it's all Gordon Ramsay porn dwarf. Now it's all Coca-Cola. And it's the way that we consume our media. People don't watch good shows anymore. You know what? The reason that the, the world's going to explode because no one cares about climate change because we're too busy knowing which Kardashian is which Kardashian. Hey, and I, it- I, I just want to point out that this last weekend, basically my entire, and judging by Twitter, many people's universes stopped to yes. ingest... 12 or 13 straight hours of House of Cards. Right. Which was like... Me too. (laughs) Have you finished? Yeah. yeah, No, I I watched it all in one go. Oh, did you? Jesus. I was sick. It was Valentine's Day when it came out. Yeah. I've never felt happier about getting sick. Yes. I generally don't get sick and I have a a weird self-pride. You know those things in life where you're like, I'm proud of something that I don't really have any control of, but it's like a thing that I think defines me and I'm always like, you know what? Like, because I... You're, you're quite a healthy person now. I try to be. I, I'm not at all. That's like, okay. I love not being healthy. Like, I've, part of why I became a stand-up comedian was I can drink when I'm working. Unreal. Like, you know, like, and I've always enjoyed that part of my life. That's what I love about music TV. <laughs> right. But one of the things that I've always been proud of, of that is I don't get sick. So I've always been able to justify the fact that, like, I live this unhealthy lifestyle because I don't get sick. So, you know, maybe my way is the right way, Right. So anyway, I got sick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm already like, ah, oh, shit. Um, but you but spend a weekend with Frank and Claire. It, it came out. All 13 episodes oh. came out that day. So I lay in bed and watch all 13 in a row. And it's, I mean, and this is my point. And I'm trying to do this like more. If you went in and looked at the, the books next to my bed, you'll find that they're better quality books. I'm trying to read about more interesting concepts. Like, I often can tell, I just got a little package just before you um, arrived, and I can always tell, 
like what sort of mood I was in late at night when I ordered something off Amazon by the package that arrives. And I was like, like, so this last one, like this book full of books on transcendental meditation and the singularity and like all this sort of stuff. I was clearly having one night where I was like, I need to know more about when Love this is going to happen and what's going to... Which one did you get? The Kurzweil book? Uh, yes, I've got that. Yeah, yeah. Just got that today. That was in the package, in fact. It's, it's a lot of words in that one. Um, <laughs> You've you got to like read and, a sentence twice and go, huh? And I got the Transcendent Man, the DVD, which is about... It's a kook- yeah. It's a bit kooky. Right. I'm fine with kooky. It's a, it's, it's I a, like a bit of kooky. He's pretty. He's a very fascinating man. I have a Kurzweil keyboard in my house. I was playing it this morning. Right. A Kurzweil piano. But my... And I guess this comes back to a little bit about what we were talking about, about the podcast is like, I think that what I like is we have the capacity to put our own menu together now. Mm. Like I, I enjoy your positivity. I balance it with some really snarky other things that, because I have the capacity to put it together myself. Like in the old I'm days. I'm the same. I'm like, right? I'm like, I'll take in a visit and then I'll just listen to an hour of Penn Sunday School. Like Penn Gillette is just brutal to like, and only take an hour at a time. I'm right. glad it's only once a week but because it's intense. Well, I think that we've forgotten about that in general as people. So eat your piece of cake and have your Coca-Cola and whatever. But then the rest of the week, like eat some shit that's good for you. You're right. And try to like balance out your life a little bit. And it's the same with our media. I don't like... Yeah, watch The Bachelor every week. Just don't only watch The Bachelor. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're going to watch that, watch it as part of a balanced lifestyle, you know? That's, that's what we need to, as consumers, like, everything's guilty pleasure now and nothing's actually, we're not doing the hard work. Now, when and I you, think we have a responsibility as a society to do the hard work. We all do. Is that because you, because you, I think you were the guy that I was afraid of. I, I never went to university. Well, I went for six weeks and then dropped out because it was too hard. But you would have been the guy I would be afraid of at university. <laughs> Why, what do you mean? Because you, you, you're tall, you, you would have been a taller, smarter, and skinnier than me. And you would have been like, one of those brainy guys who would engage me about things that I didn't know enough about to say back to you. You'd be surprised, actually, I reckon. Who were, uh, were, like, so, were you, hang on a sec, were you this tall? How old were you when you were this tall? Yeah, so I've always been tall. Like, so, how old were you when you were six? Well, I'll run you through it. So you and I have something that we share, and uh, we've never spoken about this, but I reckon it's something that we both carry with us, and I'm not sure if either of us has fully, we both used to be fat. Yeah, right. I was super fat. And it's something that I think that both of us would – I don't know if you're very conscious about the fact that you're like, I don't want to like be like that. Like, And it's not a judgment of other people. You've just decided for what you want in your it, life. It drives a lot it of my drives, health choices. Right? When I put T-shirts on, I still can't – like I see – I've still got body dysmorphia. I look at photos of myself. I'm like, who's that skinny guy? Because when I look in the mirror, right. my brain can't comprehend what I actually see. I'm aware of it. Yeah. I'm aware that it's a trick that my brain's got. Right. Um, I could see it in you before I knew you. And it was like, because I have that exact same right. thing myself. I just recognized that I was like, right. you know, and it, 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 it gives you into all sorts of control issues and other things. Like there's, I mean, there's, there's a things, range of things we don't need to go There's things I into, can't have but, in my house. Right. There's still, like, I'm that aware of like the behaviors that got me that fat still yeah. are in my life. Oh, no, I, no, I agree. I have to be really – like I can't have – I just don't have nuts in my house. Right. I have giant piles of apples and bananas. Right. But I don't have nuts in the house. I just will not. And I just can't be around that kind of uh, – Tim Ferriss calls them uh, domino foods. You eat one and then it just – your hand goes and before you know it, it's 2,500 calories just gone into you. Because I, I love um, – uh, people who've listened to my podcast will know this because it's my one thing that if I ever became Kanye rich and famous I would do is I would only eat finger foods. Yes. Like I love tiny foods. Like I love nothing more than eating a lot of a small thing. Yeah. 
And that's, I think, again, like what you're saying. I'm that person who's like, you know, if there's a bowl or something on the table or if like there's a party and there's a YouTube clip if people want to waste two minutes of their life, but it's hilarious and it makes this point of me eating chips at Tropfest. Now, Tropfest is the, the world's most successful uh, short film festival. One of my friends had a film in the festival. My friends and I had smoked a joint in the car before we were going to go in for a picnic to watch this thing. And one of my friends had chips. And I just stood there at this thing eating these chips. Someone so, filmed you? And a, someone a filmed punter? me on their Just phone. a punter? Yeah. Oh. And put it on YouTube. And you're high just eating? High eating chips. <laughs> like, and it's... Like, just, I'm, like I'm a machine. Like I've a done machine. that. I've done that. Like like just I'm there. not even finished swallowing by the time my hand goes back in the bowl. It, this is a thing that I had to resort to tricks to get around this kind of eating. Uh-huh. Um, and I found a really good habit one. Um, you make a bet with your friends, like people you're really accountable to, that you will donate money not to a good cause, but to something that oh, is cool. absolutely vile. So right. my poker buddies that I play poker with... I in, like that as a general in, way of in, doing... Well, well, here's the thing. I promised them all. We sat at the poker table with nine other guys there, oh. and I said, I'm going to promise you all, if I eat nuts outside of a meal, as in a snack right. on a nut, I will give $100 to the One Nation Party. Right. <laughs> and I promised them all... Now, here's the thing. But you're right. That would stop you. Two nights later, I'm at the Batch House and we're yeah. doing one of those big rose ceremonies. It goes late. Like, I'm talking late. Like, there's a meal break and television, everybody stops down, we eat, and then something goes wrong with the camera, and then we have to sit around for an hour and a half. And then by the time we finish filming, it's two in the morning, and I haven't eaten since 7 p.m. And I walk over to the, the snack table, because there's always a snack table there, and my hand goes for the bowl full of almonds, and I went, oh, I'm not going to give her my money. Right. And I picked up a mandarin. Right. <laughs> and it's ever since then, it's worked because I know. I mean, ironically, too, for a party that's racist against Asians, you've picked up a Mandarin. So <laughs> that's, a, that's an insult both ways. But, but it really but You've chosen a Mandarin over so one nation. When, when, when were you. Because I was in Weight Watchers when I was eight, which is essentially right. AA for fat people. I. No, I was never like. My mum uh, has struggled with her weight all her life. And. My dad's big now, but he was he's a farmer, so he was like mm-hmm. he was never kind of, he, he always worked. Yeah. But we were a family that always had like food was love. There was a you know Mate, you're talking to the uh, both my parents were refugees at one point. Right. So it's hey, hey we won, fuck you, Hitler. Right. <laughs> yeah. And fuck you, Stalin. And I think that like growing up on a farm, food is uh, farmers eat a lot. Because they work all the time. So what you find is like you have, you know, five meals a day, but not in that like, you know, good, healthy, you know, biggest loser way, but in more in the, like, you know, there would be, and we've lost this a little bit, and I think it's kind of disappointing, but Dad would get up really early because, you know, he's going to milk or, you know, irrigate or whatever. So it's like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, he's probably going to eat something then. Then, like, there'd be morning tea, and people would drop around and there would be, like, biscuits and there would be cake and it would be a thing, but there would also be lunch and afternoon tea and dinner, and they were all meals, and when you're a, like a farmer, like working, that was like the food. You need those calories. Needed. You've got to have those calories. But when you're someone like me, again, that, that just wanting to like, I couldn't sit down and have a biscuit. Yeah. Like if mum had made fresh chocolate slice, I would eat half the slice. There was one time where I love um, icing off cake. Oh. Like, I mean, I love cake, but if I had to choose between icing and cake, I love icing more. But I love, if I want to choose between uh, something better than both of those, I like the icing off the cake. Because that's better than just making the icing, right? It's got to come off the cake. Maybe even a little bit of cake when you scrape it off, but like really just mostly icing. So 
one night, it's middle of the night, like, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning, and we had, like, mum had made a carrot cake and it's got that cream cheese icing on it. And I would sneak down and I would, like, get a knife and I would, like, heat the knife and then I would just take a thin, like, strip of, like, off the whole cake. So, like, it looked like, you know, that... That no one had touched the cake, right? Just shaving, just shaving the icing. a little bit. Great escape style, yeah. just a little bit off. Yeah. So I went, well, I got away with that. So I've gone back down another half hour later. I'm like, I need some more icing. So I've done it again. And essentially, I did it so many times until it was like the world's worst comb over. You know, it was like a, it was a Christian Bale American hustle comb over. Unreal, on top of the yeah, cake. yeah. My mother found me at four o'clock in the morning making icing and trying to re ice the cake because uh. I had eaten, like, I'm. So I was, until I was 12, big. Like big for, like a big kid. And then I grew. So in year seven, year eight at school, I shot up, I guess, maybe a foot, maybe a foot and a half, like a lot. And I've been pretty much this height that I am now, which is uh, just under 6'3". I've been this height since I was like 12 or 13. Jesus, what's it like being 12 and 6'3". Uh, for a while, I was going to be a professional footballer. I played all sports, basketball, football, like, because I was big, you know. So you so I suddenly – I came from a sporting family. My dad played cricket at a very high level and, and like, yeah, played football for years. And, like, it was cu- the country. That's what you do. On the yeah. weekends, you, you know, you, you play footy, you play cricket, you play tennis. That's what country kids do, you know. And – I loved basketball, but I was really good at football. When I say football, Australian rules football is what I'm talking about. And basically what happened was everybody kept growing and I didn't. Like when I was like in under 15s and stuff, I played like state level football, but I just, all the other kids grew and I didn't. So it was a really interesting, like I went from being the best almost at every sport for a few years to gradually everybody catching up and and going by me from a point where... I was considering at age 15 a career. My life would be being a professional AFL footballer. That was what I assumed I was going to do in my life to a point where that was not an option by the time I finished high school. Right. Yeah, it was interesting. It was an interesting thing to and so when go that, through that. And so when that dream, that goal went away, what, like how early? Because I went to the kind of high school where it was like, if you don't go to university, you're an absolute failure. That was my high school. Um, was that, were you, were you like, okay, I guess football's not going to happen. What else am I going to do? So... Uh, I, ha- I was always going to go to university. Like I had always planned to go to university mm-hmm. for two reasons. Um, I did go to a school where that was – I was on a scholarship and uh, to the local private school. Like it's a country school but it was the local yeah. private country school. Um, and uh, my parents wouldn't have been able to afford to send me there. No, boys and girls. Oh, wow, you're lucky. So my brother went to an all boys, yeah, but I went weird. to a boys and girls. All boys school spit you out with having no idea about how to deal with women at all. Here's, it is I, weird. I mean, we'll get back to this other thing in a minute, but just while you're talking about that, I 100% agree with you. I think so often one of the problems that we have with our education system is that education should be preparing us for our lives. Yeah. Because particularly in this modern day thing, there is nothing, this modern day world, there's nothing you're going to learn at school that you won't have learned all of in the first week you're in any job. Yep. Like, you know, there's, yep. they don't need to fill you up with knowledge, right? All that knowledge is in your phone or you're going to learn it. They need to teach you how to learn. They need to teach you how to be a human. They need to teach you the capacity to go to a job and meet new people and soak up the knowledge and do that job. And I don't think we prepare people properly for that. The other thing, the major other part of your life than your job 
will more than likely be your relationship or your pursuit of a relationship, right? Yet how much time at school do we spend teaching children about the idea that in life you might want to like have a yeah, marriage, it might be with the same sex person, it might be with an opposite sex person, but you're going to need to meet somebody, this is how you might meet them, this is how you behave with that other person, this is what is appropriate, this is what is not appropriate. It's going to define our lives, how we react to the yeah. people we are attracted to, right? Yet we get absolutely no fucking training in it at all. My first girlfriend had to basically take me by the hand and go, oh wow, you really... You really haven't, because all my mates were guys. Right. I didn't know any women. But not only besides my mom, not only do you not know them, but men left to their own devices, like well, like it's like there was beer and pornography. I mean, right? People and they just make up shit about like what women are like, or what they like, or how they respond, what sex should be, right? What's normal in the bedroom, and particularly in this day and age, I mean. We're a little bit pre-internet to define that, but in this day and age where people are watching like you know hardcore pornography on their phones at age 12, then I think that we're going to have to address that. In, we can't just leave that to like, oh, maybe their parents will... We need to address yeah. like, here's pornography... Like and we could get bogged down in arguments for a long time about you know, the pros and cons of pornography, but po- there, there can be an argument made that... It, Look, 40% of the internet is pornography. So whether we think it's a good thing or a bad thing, people are watching it. So let's not deal with this hypothetical great world that, like, you know, hopefully one day we can evolve into. Let's just let's kind of fix what we're dealing with now yeah. so we can move on to that point. Which have you, is, have you seen, Oh, sorry, your point no, is? No, no, no. Well, all I was going to say is that we've got to explain to kids that it's okay to watch that, but that's fantasy. Yeah. Like in the same way as you shouldn't watch a Jackie Chan movie and then try to jump off a, like the top of a building because it's fantasy. He's a trained professional doing something that, you know what, maybe one day you will do with that with someone who's... But that's not what you should be doing at that party when you're 15. Nah. That's not... There's a very interesting... I'm sure you've seen her, Cindy Gallup. She has a website oh, called Make Love Not Porn. Oh, no, I haven't. Yeah, actually. Cindy Gallup. She, she's a fascinating woman. Right. She lives in New York and this is her entire argument. You know, she talks about... Um, you know, interviewing 18, 19 year olds. She's a, you know, a very much, a, I don't know, sex therapist is the wrong word, but more, more of a uh, uh, anthropologist. Right. Um, 18, interviewing 18, 19 year olds who, when they have sex, um, the only part of their body's touching are the genitals because that's what they've seen, because right. that's a good camera angle when you see right. penetration. But it's not holding her hand or stroking her hair or, or, or cupping the small of her back right. or, or any of that. They're like country people shaking hands. They're as far <laughs> away from people. Will Anderson with the callbacks. Right. Yeah, that's, what, that's, how we, that's how we do comedy, guys. <laughs> that's why I'm not on the farm anymore. <laughs> But yeah, so what her website's evolved into now is like a, uh, I guess it's like a, a pay as you like a paid version of you porn, where right. where people who want to show this is actual. I don't want to, right. you know, masturbate or watch enjoy with my partner pornography that doesn't reflect what we do in our bedroom. I want to see what we do in our bedroom, and so it, it's like f- fulfilling content for the own audience, which is which is kind of interesting, and particularly here in 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 West Hollywood where you live. I mean. You are in one of the gayest parts of the world. I would suggest it's probably the gayest man place on the planet. It, it, like per head of capita. It's, yeah, yeah. It like, could not be gayer. It, it was President's Day uh, like a couple of days ago from when we were recording this. And uh, so uh, Sunday is the big uh, – on Santa Monica Boulevard, which is like where all the, most of the gay bars are. Um, it's Sunday's a big day anyway. Like they're big Sunday afternoon sessions. Yeah. And – but – 
President's Day was the holiday the next day. So it was like Mardi Gras. Like people were like partying like hard. And I did walk to the, the grocery store and I was like, I was like, I've never seen so many gay men. And the thing that I love about West Hollywood, because I've lived in Sydney and stuff like that in like, yeah, the gay areas in Melbourne. I lived in quite a gay area of town as well. Um, I... Because basically, I like men checking me out, is what I'm saying. <laughs> they check me out more than women do. Do You I'm, feel a lot nicer about it. I'm yourself. single right now, and if I wasn't straight, I'd be getting right. so much action. Oh, my God. I reckon I could do at least three guys at the Starbucks. <laughs> and so... <laughs> While you're waiting for your baby Chino. But my um, favourite thing about um, walking up and down the strip was the diversities of ages you see here. So you see a lot of young gay guys, and that's my co- more common experience of when I see gay guys at gay bars. They're younger, you know, like more expressive, like gay guys. But this is just like middle-aged gay guys, you know, out having a drink, and old gay guys out having a drinks, and couples, and everybody hanging out together in a way that straight people, like, it, you know, you'll either go to an old person's bar or a young person's yeah, bar. It's rare it? that at a young person's bar there'll be eighteen-year-olds dancing next to seventy-year-olds and all having the exact same good this, time. I noticed this when I was out in Melbourne uh, over Christmas. I was down with my brother and his boyfriend and, and their mates, and and we went to a couple of a couple of gay bars. And I was lucky enough to get into uh, the Peel, which has the famous yep. policy. Yeah, of, no, no straight people. Sorry, so but I was right. you know I was in a phalanx of, yeah. of seven gay dudes, so right. I, I snuck in the middle. I think that technically qualifies you once you've been in a phalanx of seven <laughs> yeah. gay dudes. But it's ex- I made the exact point. It was like you don't see this kind of social interaction in the straight world. You don't see. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, exactly. A dance floor with an age range of 50 years. Right. There'll be a 68-year-old dancing next to an 18-year-old to right. the same song and everyone's having a blast. And no one's like, what are you doing, old man? Right. No one. No. Nah. I, 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 I love that. Yeah, it was uh, great. Anyway, so uh, I was... Pornography, fat. university. Right, I was fat. I, um... <laughs> I had, I was always going to go to university and um, I grew, I got fit, played sport, got to end of year 12. By then, if I'm going to be completely honest, probably about like year 10, year 11, I started to realise that maybe playing football, you know, wasn't going to be for me. And I started to look around at going, well, what else can I do? What else am I interested in? You know, I there's a famous quote, I wish I... For a quote that I uh, use all the time, I don't know the exact quote and I don't know who said it. And I'm going to paraphrase it awfully. Do it. But essentially the, the gist of the point it's trying to make is that most people are either running towards something or running from something. 
and you've got to kind of work out what it is for you. I've always been a person, I've never been a goal-orientated person, but I'm definitely running away from something. What defined me the most was I didn't want to be a farmer. My dad is a farmer, his dad was a farmer. My dad lives on a road called Anderson's Road, which is named after my grandfather who built the road. My dad is 71 in July. He has never moved off Anderson's Road. He married the first woman he ever kissed. He's never drunk alcohol. He's never smoked a cigarette. He's never tried drugs. Nothing, right? I just knew. My brother lives, works the farm with my dad now, and they have a beautiful relationship that often I'm jealous about, the fact that they work side by side. It's, it's great, you know? And he'll take over the family farm and he'll live that tradition. But I knew that that was not for me. I was like, my attitude was anything but this. So what... Were they cool with that? They, they were remarkably cool with that. Because as it's worked out, it's worked out great. My brother went away and did his years in London and partied and, you know, had a life, had an adventure, explored the world with his friends, you know, became a carpenter and then moved back on the farm and got married and had kids and, you know, works with dad and he'll take over the farm and, you know, but he's already had a bit of a life as well. And so, you know, and my, my sister's got four kids, so the family part of it that they wanted was provided by my brother and sister, but I was the eldest. So at the start, that's all your responsibility. Like, you, you know... It would have really disappointed me that if no one took over the farm. Like, and it would have broken Dad's heart, you know, if no one did. But, um, but he would have let us. That's what my family was like. Right. You, knew, you knew what they wanted, but they always, at the end of the day, wanted what was best for you. Uh-huh. My dad was a farmer because he loved farming. Like, the thing that he wanted to do every day was get up and be a farmer and he was like, well, you know, if, people, if someone can pay me to do that. And they infused me with that spirit. The idea of finding something that you would do for free and then conning people into paying you to do that thing. Like that's essentially this, whatever, if I have a guiding principle, that has been it. And it was instilled into me by my parents. But it came with like a degree of like hard work because you've grown up on like the farm and, and they valued you working hard. And, and so... By the time I was 16 or 17, I discovered comedy. Um, I first discovered it uh, watching television. We had two TV networks. You probably remember back when there was like two TV yeah, networks. Yeah, there was no free view. <laughs> no. Uh, people, it's crazy to even think about. Yeah. Like we're talking about, you know, the fact that we downloaded like 13 episodes of like House of Cards the other day and I watched them in a day. Like it, uh, off the internet. Full HD, no fuzzy furry snow, no UHF dodgy signals, no like trying to watch the, the Gold Coast channel that has something else on with the UHF dial. We had the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Commission, uh, and we had, uh, we had uh, channel Southern Cross, I think they were called, and it was a composite commercial channel. It was just bits and pieces and local news and that sort of stuff. And so on the ABC, there was two television shows. One was called uh, The Money or the Gun, which was a show hosted by an Australian comedian called Andrew Denton. And it was, like, it was the satire of The Daily Show 15 years before The Daily Show. Like, I'd never seen anyone combine... Like, there was, they did this thing on disability called The Year of the Patronising Bastard, and it was... Like, it won international awards. And I watched it, like, I reckon I watched it about four years ago. And it was made 25 years ago, and it still stands up as, like, if I saw someone do that, you know, it's like a Louis Thoreau piece or something like that. It's, you know, Michael Moore, any of those guys who get that sort of, it's better and funnier and of its time. Just so, anyway, I love that show. And uh, there was another show, a live comedy show called The Big Gig. 
and uh, that was probably the, the the biggest one for me. Like I, it was the first time I ever saw stand-ups doing live comedy on television, you know, and people like Wendy Harmer and um, the Doug Anthony All-Stars and uh, all these people just blew my mind. Like it was it, – I, I, the first time I saw stand-up was because of the big gig. Um, the, uh, Jim Owen, uh, an Australian-Irish comedian, Jim Owen, had done a set on the big gig. And he the next- was – I remember the exact set you talk about. He was tough as nails. He looked like it's the skinheads that were terrorising Brisbane at the time. Right. He had the Fred Perry jacket on. He was like, you know, I was right. like, he's going to hit someone. Right. And he did that bit about um, – I remember the, there was a piece he had. I'm here about that. Court hangers. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> right. But he did uh, – and seagulls. Don't have any eyebrows. Like, that became our catchphrase around school. Like, we were saying, seagulls don't have any eyebrows. And it was like, all my friends, we were fascinated. We were like, who is, like, this guy is amazing, right? So we decided that we would go to Melbourne, which was like about three hours from where we lived on the train. We would go to Melbourne and we would go to Last Laugh Comedy Cafe on Smith Street in Collingwood. And we would go and see Jamoan do, like, his show that he was doing, you know. Like, back then we were like, it was like we were going to see In Excess at, you know, Melbourne Park. But we were going to, like, a comedy room on a Saturday night. But for us kids from the country, we didn't really know what to expect, you know. So we've gone up there. We've got there at 7. Show starts at, like, 8.30 or whatever. We've all got fake IDs because it's, like, an over... It's a licensed venue, like, it's over 18. So we've all got these, like, country fake IDs to go and see stand-up, right? So anyway, they let us in because it's a comedy club and they're like, someone's here. <laughs> we don't care that you're clearly 15, right? So we've gone in. We started drinking these um, big fancy, like, uh, you know, comedy club margaritas. Oh, and, God. Uh, so the show started and we just assumed it would be Jamon. Like, we were just like, well, we assumed this show will just be Jamon. But we didn't know. There was a host, a guy called Steph Torek, doing his character Pasha. And then there was two support acts. Uh, who we had never heard of. Their names were Tony Martin and Mick Malloy, who went on to become two of the most famous comedians ever in Australia. And they were both brilliant. They were both brilliant on the night. And then Jamoan came on and did his set. And that was the first time I ever saw stand-up. From that minute on, I just loved it. I went home, I started collecting comedy records, cassette tapes, you know, and they were hard to find, you know, but I would just find Bill Cosby, Billy Connolly, you know, just anything I could find. Bob Newhart, like George Carlin, um, Lenny Bruce, Monty Python, like just anything that was recorded that was comedy. Rodney Roode and Kevin Bloody Wilson, The Twelfth Man, like if it was comedy, I would like devour it. And and just listen to it and listen to it and study it, it study the rhythm, the maths behind it. I was studying it because even at that point I don't think I was like um, thinking, oh, this is something I will do with my life. I just loved it. Yeah, right. I was like, this, can you believe what these people are saying? Like, they can say anything. I, 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 like, I must have listened to that Wide World of Sports tape to the point where the tape just destro- got destroyed. Mate. The very readable Katarina Vitzgates, boy. We would go to cricket on the weekends and we would yeah. stand around playing cricket and just everyone on the field quoting. Like, it was such an integral part. Yeah. I knew the lines of that more than I know the lines of the second verse of our national anthem. You oh, know? oh, there is a very important line which people always forget. We've boundless planes to share. Yeah, well, that was in the old days when they wrote the song. <laughs> now we've got a fucking boat and you should turn it around and get on that island. <laughs> uh, but I, I, it's, it's, it's wild that, you know, and you think about that. And I do want to talk about that because there's a very full circle moment that you've just dropped the, the breadcrumb of that we'll come back to in a second. Um, because I, I had the same thing, and you know, I've, I've talked about this on the show before. Whoever was curating the ABC at the time, 
I don't know if they realised that because that's the only cultural experience we were getting, how much it affected just a generation of, of, of people and, and artists. And, and at the moment, when I look from afar and when I see people go, oh, the ABC shouldn't have this money and that money, when you live in another country like we are now, the fact that the ABC isn't there or doesn't exist or nothing at all like it exists protecting the cultural identity, cultural identity of a society, it just you really miss it over here. I'm biased and people always think when I'm biased when I talk about this because the majority of the work that I've done has been part of the ABC. But I, I've never worked for the ABC. I right. just want to point that out. But also I will, I will tell you this, and I know this is a safe space so I feel comfortable saying this. I have literally turned down jobs that would have paid me millions of dollars over the years, millions of dollars, to work at the ABC because I think it is the most amazing... Like, it comes with its flaws. I always joke about the ABC that there's two types of people who work at the ABC. Uh, One, people who passionately believe in public broadcasting and are willing to sacrifice huge amounts of money to go and do the projects they actually want to do to the audience that will appreciate them. And two people who could not get a job anywhere but the ABC. <laughs> you just have to work out which ones are which. There's enough of the first ones to make up for the, the few of the second ones. But it's public broadcasting. So it is a... Um, but it's... The more you travel, it will be one of the saddest things of all time if the ABC isn't a thing at some stage. It is the envy of the world. You know what it's like with music, right? You would have bands... When I was at Triple J, the amount of bands that we came... that came into Triple J, like biggest bands in the world, and just lost their mind and went, I wish where I grew up we had something like Triple J. Now, it's not going to be for everybody, but it's... Those things are so... And for me, the interesting thing, if you want to talk a full circle moment, is Andrew Denton uh, was hosting uh, The Money or the Gun... Uh, I think he did blah 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 before that. Blah, was blah, the first blah, time I saw him. Sports. Did you ever see him play theatre sports? I did when see that him play theatre sports. Amazing. I remember watching blah blah blah. The right. first time I, my first ever view of Andrew Denton was when he had on a live television show. I think he must have been twenty one or twenty two, right. interviewing a panel of cancer sufferers who'd all been given the just go home right. and enjoy the last few weeks, and they were his guests, right. and they were all under twenty five. He's basically an hour or half hour talk show interviewing people who are going to die. Right. And I was 14 or 13 watching this going, holy shit. Right. And just couldn't, he had a terrible mullet at the time. But well, I, the, the, the thing I think that, like, the reason it connected with us, like, you don't remember, here's, here's what's interesting. Neither of us has spoken about any of the jokes. Neither of we've not quoted the jokes. No. What we're remembering is, and this is what I think is important about this was, it was the first time we had heard those ideas and seen those ideas. And the only way that, particularly if you're from like the country where maybe not everyone is into the same music as you. I mean, these days with the internet, it's a lot easier to get connected. You know, someone in, you know, Sale in country Victoria can be friends with someone in Minneapolis, Minnesota, because they both like the same band or whatever. But back then you couldn't be. And those ideas were the first time I'd heard them. And the way that I heard them was comedically expressed. Mm. And that kind of in my mind was like, well, you can say whatever you want to say if you make it funny. And if you really want to say something, then that seems like a really good way to, you know, live your life. Ted Robinson was the producer of um, uh, The Big Gig, who went on to produce, I mean, he produced The Late Show, he produced um, a Good News Week for, you know, Generations and all those shows, like, big Australian comedy producer. Uh, also produced my television show, The Glass House. 
uh, Andrew Denton produced my TV show, all the Gruen shows. It's so weird to me, the idea that, like, at 14, 15 years of age, the two people who were most instrumental on the life that I chose are the two people that I've worked with, like, literally the two major relation, creative relationships I've had as an adult now that I'm 25 years on from that. I mean, it's kind of blows my mind in a, in, a, in a way of like if you want to talk about that idea of of a circle and I'm kind of at a point in my life now where I've almost done that full circle and it's I, I'm obliged to start my own circles like I'm obliged to be the person who like you get to a point where you're in your industry where you're like and I'm not saying that you ask for it but people look to you they're watching your work there's kids who've grown up watching the things that I've made and I hear from kids who are in comedy because, like, I used to like this show and now I'm doing comedy. I'm like, I mean, fuck, with great power comes great responsibility, Spider-Man. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, but you do. I feel that thing of going, well, if people are going to look to you, you want to try to give the best example that you possibly can. That doesn't mean that I'm saying that I should be the example they're following. I'm just saying... You know, in the same way as I'm not saying that, you know, 40% of the internet should be pornography. I'm just saying let's deal with... <laughs> but eventually, look, I put it to you that eventually, eventually the chef wants to open his own restaurant, man. Mm. And that's... And it's t- totally fair. That, that that's, that's what you want to do now. And no one would, you know, say, well, you should, you know, that circle, you've got to keep going in that, around that circle. You, I, you totally... I'm excited for you that that's what you're going to go do. Well, I think that art should always inspire art as well, though. Like, and I mean, in general, like it's... Somebody was like having a go the other day about podcasts. They were like, oh, everyone's got a podcast now. And I was like, when, when rock and roll first started, were you pissed off that everyone bought a guitar? Like, m- most of the people who go to rock gigs either wanted to be a rock star or, like, at least had a guitar. What's, or that, like, what's that quote about at the Velvet Underground show? There was only right. eight people at the Velvet right. Underground but show. But started But bands. every one of those yeah. eight people started a band. Yeah. yeah. And that's... I think that's great. Yeah. And some of them will be like the guitar that then gets put in the cupboard and never comes out. Some of it will be like, you know, will be, you know, the the band that watched the Velvet Underground and became the biggest band in the world. Like, yeah. you know, it will be, you know, Nirvana at the Pixies gig, you know, going, yeah. you know, the Pixies took it this far and then Nirvana went, we love the Pixies, but one day we're going to be a bigger band. So you've done Pixies. national broadcast radio on Triple J. You went and did commercial radio. You did drive time. You did the... Okay, hang on, wait. I need to fill you. I feel like we've missed the little gap and I'll fill you, you in and come then back because we'll I've, I've, I've right, got to cool. hit you with this okay, one. Okay, go for it then. No, no, no. What's your gap? Okay, so quickly, I just wanted to finish high school through university and then we're basically in comedy anyway. So we well, can This is where we are, yeah, right. yeah. So finished year 12, decided... Oh, so my mum took me to see Billy Connolly when I was 17. You know what? Actually, this conversation is a lot like a Billy Connolly... Right, all over the shop. Yeah, uh, <laughs> piece because like... He says he does it accidentally, but I disagree. I think he's just a non-linear storyteller. Right. And he will tell you one overarching story and pop seven other stories in the middle and go, oh, that's right, the octopus. Anyway, and then he'll just trail off into something else and come back and go, oh, so anyway, that's right, I was in Glasgow. And So, yeah. No, 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 no. But it's so funny that you say that and you talk about the things that influence us. My storytelling style is all over the place. People who listen to my podcast think it's like an episode of Lost. Like sometimes you're like, what? Did the island move in time? What are you talking about now? You know, but it does come from that Billy Connolly thing of like trying to explore, you know, when you talk about something, it naturally takes you somewhere else. And then you can go back to where you are. Yeah. Saw Billy Connolly on my 17th birthday with my mum. She bought us a ticket (sighs) to 
to Hamer Hall in Melbourne. Um, I remember sitting in the room in the dark, 3,000 people laughing from, you know, like probably 14 to 80 at this guy for three hours. Like telling a West Hollywood gay bar. <laughs> yeah, the only two places, West Hollywood gay bars and Billy Connolly kicks. <laughs> It's weird that that theme is. <laughs> I like to be places all ages, all ages. <laughs> Maybe not fourteen. Twenty ones are drinking at you. Um, I sat in the room, and I had. I, I find it so weird when so uh, so many comedians are um, not religious. I don't really know why, but there's a lot of comedians who are not religious and or maybe the ones who are not religious are very vocal about not being religious. And I often find it really weird that um, these like ardent atheists, I, I'm not a believer myself, but I would not consider myself to be an ardent atheist. As I, as I joke in my stand-up, I said, how the fuck would I know? Like, you know, how, how would I know? I didn't understand the end of Donnie Darko. Who am I to know? You know, like, so, um, but I find it really weird that, they can't appreciate that we all have, like, I don't think that there is a meaning to life, but I think life benefits from you ascribing abscri- ab- it a meaning. Um, that's not the right word. Uh, for you giving it a meaning. So I find meaning in my work. I find meaning in my life. I find meaning in my friendships. I think it's important to try to make things meaningful. You know, like I'm doing this podcast because I'm hoping that people will enjoy it and they will be entertained by it and maybe that like something I say or you say or whatever will like help someone or they will completely disagree with it, but it'll make them more you know, firm in their mind about what their opinion is. And when I try to do it, I try to do the best job I can do because I think it means something. I sat in that room and I had what a religious person would describe as a calling. I had that moment where I sat in that chair, even though I don't believe in God, I had a moment where I sat there and went, this is the circus and I need to run away and join it. Like, I knew it. I, I wish that, that, I mean, I don't wish that that wasn't true. I wish that I was exaggerating it. But I sat there with no reason to believe that it was going to be my life and went, I will never do anything but do this. I then went to university and did not do that. <laughs> I went to university, I did a journalism degree, I studied really hard and I got fat again. So basically I uh, put on about 25 kilos, 30 kilos when I was at uni because I wasn't playing sport anymore because I was studying now. And I just like, you know, those old bad behaviours and whatever came back. And I was like, like over 100 kilos by the time I ended up like, you know. Um, what was your max? I got to 112. Don't know if I ever got like a, I, I reckon when I knocked over the 100. That Cracking was like, the tons. Right. Like, that was yeah. always my thing of like, oh, yeah, you know yeah. what. <laughs> right. And, but also, I was at uni. I didn't have a lot of money. I was working full-time and I was studying full-time and I was paying my own way through university because I was the first person in my family to ever finish school. I was the first person to ever go to university and my parents were very much of the raise you well enough that they look after you until you can look after yourself school of parenting. From the minute I left home, and this is one of the things that I've loved about my life is and has enabled me to make my own decisions is that from the minute I left home, I have looked after myself. Like, you know, I, I've worked all the time. I've always made my own decisions, you know, good or bad, and there's been plenty of both, but they've always been my own decisions, you know. And so, but I was big and I was so unhappy 
Like I was so unhappy. I was, I'd finished a three-year journalism degree. I graduated first in my course. I had a job at the Financial Review and the Canberra Press Gallery. I covered an election. I had had stories that had run on the front page of the Financial Review. Like I was, like out of my like course, which was one of like the three best courses in the country, like I was the most qualified person to come out of that course. And I was miserable like i was kill yourself miserable wow. like i never tried so and i know there's still a big difference between thinking about it seriously and getting to a point where someone tries and i don't like to over exaggerate where i was at in that situation but it was definitely like a, a thought that was constantly in my mind so dangerous, like, it's dangerous to be a young man in the country man right it's fucking dangerous right don't to be a young man in australia period right i just didn't know what i was what like he was what I he was what I had, and this has informed a lot of the decisions I've made since then. I was too externally successful, but I wasn't happy. And I guess it was in that moment I made a decision that it was more important to me to be happy than to be successful. So I thought, what if being successful doesn't make you happy, what would make you happy? And so I ran away and I joined the circus. That's literally why it happened. It was like, you know, they say the darkest hours right before the dawn. It was, I'm not sure that I would have ever considered actually being a professional stand-up comedian if I hadn't done something else first and hated it so much and been so desperate that I was like, well, fuck it. Like, I'm going to try comedy. It can't be worse than wanting to kill myself. Sometimes it is. I think I think you're absolutely right, though. I think you're you're absolutely right. Before before I got into radio, I was a I was a roadie. I'm lifting just oh. lifting heavy things up and down the vomit covered steps of the Surface Paradise Beer Garden. And I'm 17 years old, pulling quad four ways out of a van and, and dragging them upstairs. Like, then I got to radio. Like, you're going to go on air at midnight. You're going to go till six. Then you're going to come off here. You're going to get in one of the Black Thunders, drive around and and you know throw things at punters until the morning crew's off at ten. Then you're going to come back in here at eleven for a jocks meeting. Then you go home, sleep for an hour, come back, panel Martin Malloy, go away, come back. I was like, great. It's right. not what I used to do. Right. And it was. I think you're right. You got to have that thing that totally shit thing that you're like oh, I'm yeah. never going what are you back. running to or what are you running from well I'm glad you found your way out of that man I'm glad too yeah it's worked out fine it's been well, good well I think there's something to be said that though but early on you chose I'm going to follow happiness now when through your career as you chose various I'll take this job I'll take this job you talked about saying no to jobs when you said yes to jobs were you saying yes to what made you happy always I'm not sure like um, and again I think that what happens is that if you allow yourself to think about who you really are, um, you'll make the right decisions. But sometimes we get so caught up in a world or in things that we lose ourselves. Like my favourite <clears throat> um, Radiohead lyric of all time is um, uh, from Karma Police and it's, uh, for a minute there, I lost myself. Now, you can interpret that line in a... In a a lot of different ways. But I interpret in two ways that are quite different, but they both resonate with me. Because one is the worst thing that I like about myself and the one and, and one is that when I'm most happy happy. So for a minute there I lost myself. The happiest I ever am is when I like when I when you forget about yourself. Like when I'm on stage, like people always ask about how is it to do comedy when like you know you're going through something shit. It's the best. Because to do comedy properly, you've just got to be 
in the moment. You've got to lose yourself. You've got to, you know, be out there. And like Barry Humphreys, the great Dame Edna Everidge, Barry Humphreys, um, had a quote about like when he'd walk out on stage and they were like, yeah, how do you feel when you walk out on stage in front of 3,000 people? And he's like, oh, alone at last. And so that's my first interpretation of that. For a minute there, I lost myself. The most beautiful thing in the world where even just for a minute, you can forget about all your daily shit and all your weird contrivances about what you think is important and not important and just lose yourself in a, in a moment of music or a moment of passion or a moment of love. You know, like to be in the moment of something is amazing, right? So that's the first bit. The other one is like for a minute there I lost myself, which is those times in your life where you go away from who you actually are. And the thing is that so often in our lives we judge ourselves by other people or other people's expectations of who we're supposed to be or where we're supposed to be at this point of our career. And I have certainly had times in my life where I've taken jobs because that's what everyone that my stage of my career did next. And then sometimes I did those jobs and found that I wasn't, they weren't as rewarding as I liked and I had to kind of find myself again because I'd lost who I was. I was being someone else and I didn't, I didn't get into this to be someone else. You know, that first initial feeling of like they're saying these things and they can make them funny, that's what I want. Like the same thing when I was at university and I was like, I'm not happy, I need to be happy, I need to, that's what I want. And so in the times in my life where I've made bad decisions or chosen things that, you know, have not been right, They've normally been when I haven't had time to step away from the rat race that I'm in to take a step back and go, do you really want to do this? Like, is this really going to make you happy? And it's, you know, it's something that I am lucky enough that I have the luxury to be able to do now. Like, there are times in your career where you don't have that luxury. Sometimes you just got to fucking eat. Sometimes you got to work. I've taken those jobs. And you know what? <laughs> Don't you worry, i taken those and jobs. And also, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, no. Like, particularly, like, as I always say to someone, like, I'll give you two examples of that. Two best things that have happened in my career are the two things that I are probably the two most forgettable and like the, the two things I would leave off the CV if I could leave things off the CV, but I would never because they're the two most important things that have ever happened. First one was I didn't add when I was like, I just started doing comedy. I'd spent all the money I'd saved from being a journalist and I was about to kind of like, I'm going to have to get a job. And my thing about comedy was that I was always like, I'm going to do it full time. Because I'd been watching Oprah, of all things, and Roseanne Barr was on uh, Oprah and Roseanne asked her about, do you have something to fall back on? And Rose, uh, sorry, Oprah asked Roseanne, do you have something to fall back on? And uh, Roseanne said, if you have something to fall back on, you will fall back on it. And I thought that was like, I was like, that makes sense, right? So when I started doing comedy, I was like, I'm not going to have a part-time job. I'm just going to force myself to get good at comedy as quick as possible so that I can pay my bills. Well, that took three years. So three years of really like, you know, living hand to mouth, like really, you know, like I was on the dole for a bit and I was like, and even when I wasn't on the dole, I was doing like delivering the census and just doing like shitty part-timey like jobs to get a bit of money and only ever going to the movies on a Tuesday. And when you go out to dinner with your friends, being worried that someone would order a bottle of wine and you wouldn't be able to afford your, put, your bit of the, like, you know, that life. And, but having a great life as well, going to gigs and like, you know, drinking beer and having a, like, you know, a fun time. But I got an ad when I was about 25 for a maxi bond and ice cream. And it was like $40,000. It was the most money, like it was a year of wages even as a journalist, you know, like for one ad that took a week. And then they rolled it over the next year and then they sold it overseas. And then for about the next three or four years, I had like a, 
a base income of probably sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year at least that like i wasn't that i didn't have to do anything for my thing was right now i am a full-time comedian that is my wage i'm never going to do another job i'm never going to do anything else and i'm going to get up every day like i'm being paid sixty five thousand dollars to be a comedian no more sleep until lunchtime no more drinking all night like you are using this money from the commercial to you know put on a festival show to travel into like because you know the things that money gives you is like if there's a week of gigs on in newcastle i can drive to newcastle and get a hotel and do the gigs because i know that if i do the gigs i will get better at what i'm doing the second thing was i i did um a drive show with limo at triple m it was kind of the big time i went into commercial radio it was like Triple M at the time had like people like Tony Martin and Marty Shear got a lot of like really funny comedians were on the network. Peter Hallier, you know, like guys I liked. And I was like, well, if I'm ever going to do commercial radio, this is the time to do it. They're letting me work with a friend of mine, like, and we can do whatever we want. And it was a bunch of money as well. Like certainly more money than I'd earned doing anything else at that point. And we did it for 18 months and it, it fell over. Um, it was the most creative creative 18 months I've ever had because they literally, they were in meltdown at that network at the time. So they just ignored us and let us do what we wanted to do. It was brilliant. And we had such a good time. But it gave me two things. It gave me 100% guarantee that money didn't make me happy because I was earning more money than I'd ever earned in my life. And I wasn't happy because I wasn't doing as much stand-up. I wasn't doing the things I really wanted to do. And this was a time when Gruen had started. You know, I had this big hit TV show. I should have... And I was earning more money than I'd ever earned in my life. I, like, I should have been the happiest I ever was. I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy again. Second thing that it gave me was the financial freedom to make that choice. I, at the end of it, they offered me a, a breakfast slot job, you know, a big prestigious job, and I just said, no, 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 I'm done. I'm going to take the money that I've got from this and I'm going to move overseas and I'm going to start again in America and do stand-up over there because... So, again, I came over here attacking this, like, you've got this money, right? Don't spend it on fucking a fancy car or, like, whatever. Like, I didn't even pay off my mortgage at home. I was like, no, 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 this is your wage to go and start again in America the same way as I'd started out. So... Sometimes you do the shitty thing and as long as you use the shitty thing to be positive, like, for the rest of your career, I think, why fucking not? Better than slaving away forever not getting to do the thing you want to do. Right? I, I couldn't agree more. I, I couldn't agree more. And, like, I've been in, I've been in both those situations. I've, I've, you know, I've said no to stuff because I know it would adversely affect what I, what I do and what, you know... It is this wild thing that once you get a profile, people go, oh, just hold this. I'm going to right. take your photo with it. Sometimes that's great. And sometimes if I believe in it, I'll absolutely do it. Right. Sometimes you're like, no, thanks. And I mean, it's interesting because I got like when I even when I was at I've the been radio, really grateful when it's happened. Trust right. me. I did, I did a Ford commercial, which was, you know, fucking brilliant. Right. I had a great time doing it. And, you know, I got paid. It was really lovely. I also uh, think though for what you do, like, I mean, like, I don't think that – I mean, for me, I've been a little careful. So it's when I was doing radio and whatever, I would not even do live reads, which is the, the – you know, if anyone's listening to radio, those you know, sound like they're kind of a like... – when, when I did the Nova Breakfast one uh, just there in December, um, like uh, I won't say the name of the client, right. but they were a butcher. Right. 
and I'm reading the live read for a butcher and yeah. people are tweeting me going, you, um, you got the vegan reading the butcher. Right. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. So the next break, next time I come up, I'm like, uh, you take this one, Finji. <laughs> and so, because oh, right. the client's not getting what they're paid for. Right. The because who believes you? Exactly. I can't sell people meat. Right. So that's what I was like with the commercial radio. I could have made a lot more money even when I was there by doing the live reads. But I think as a comedian, like my, my, uh, unique selling point, whatever, you know, my, the thing that, the only thing that I have, I don't like to use the word brand because I don't like the way that we're associating ourselves as human beings with, you know, um, the language of marketing and advertising. But what I stand for is I hope that when I speak, people think that you might completely disagree with what I say and lots of people do. Sometimes I disagree with what I say, you know, the next year or the next day. But you know that what I say at that time was the truth. I'm never shilling for somebody else. I'm never protecting somebody else. That's my you know, perspective. But I don't yeah. think that's what people – like, I mean, I think people, you know, they understand that you're a host and often you're a host of things that are commercially sponsored. or commer- So I, don't, I think people, when they watch you do that, it's a little bit different to watching me do that. You know what I mean? It might not be, though. There's plenty of comedians who shill for stuff and people don't care. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, unfortunately, time is a bit of a factor. I am actually going to have to get out of here, yeah, uh, which is which is a total drag. I barely just uh, we didn't even get onto polyamorous relationships. No, we are going to have to go back, and well, I'm sure we can do a part two. And I really wanted to like hook that into House of Cards. No, we can't because spoilers. But we will. Uh, <sighs> I tweeted another out, day. We will I tweeted talk out about today it. on the on the drive here and the traffic. Uh, it's a beautiful thing about sitting in zero miles per hour traffic. You can right. tweet uh-huh. um, at red lights. Um, I. I tweeted out Frente's Bizarre Love Triangle to uh, Claire and Frank Underwood. Right. Like, there you go. I mean... That was amazing. I, again, won't give anything away because I know people haven't probably seen it yet. But um, one of the things I've enjoyed about that show, and if people are put off by the idea of House of Cards, if they think it's like a political drama, it's not. It's really... It's about, like, human beings and human relationships. Truly. And the way that their relationship, like... It's just the stakes are very, very high. Right. That's that's what makes the show the show because we're dealing with pe- the... They're two people who have an arrangement too. And when I say arrangement, that makes it sound clinical or not, but it's not. They've, I think, and this is why next time we talk, let's talk about polyamorous relationships yeah. because I'm not sure one way or the other, by the way, on that. But I'm just saying that I think that we have to broaden out the idea of what we consider to be a relationship because here's some news, people. A lot of people are in polyamorous relationships whether they know it or not or yeah. whether they acknowledge it or not I because i've been out in the world and there's plenty of people like having sex like with more people than their wife or their husband or their boyfriend or their girlfriend so i wonder like is it really better to keep all this shit in there or maybe there's a new evolution of relationships that yeah. people anyway but this is like a, a longer conversation for a different okay time. so we're gonna have to do this again <laughs> we no, we really are we yeah. really are gonna have to do this again uh so because there's so much that i wanted to talk to you about I, uh next time we do this I want to discuss the Logie Awards with you. No, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and that, <laughs> That'll be fun. Th- those nights. Yeah, that'll um, be fun. Uh, what else do I want to talk to but you That'll about? be good too because if we talk about the Logies, that'll be a classic example and I'll just give you a quick preview. We won't get into the details but that'll be a classic example of two times in my life where I was forced to go to something and my natural relationship, like whenever I'm told to do something it's a, and it's a thing that's been familiar right through my life, is the worst way to get me to behave is right. tell me to behave. Got it. My biggest thing is like if you force me to go to some like go to something that I have never gone to and I've had a principal stand of not going to, and you pressure me to go there, guess what's gonna happen? Yeah, right. Front page headlines. We'll talk- <laughs> 
because I do want to talk about the front page headlines. And unfortunately, you know, I, I could have talked to you for an hour and I'd really like to talk to you again. I really would cool. because we'll, we'll talk about it another time and I, I don't want you to get you started on it because I did want to talk about the outrage machine with you because you've had to face it. You've had to face it right. and, it's, and it's gnashing teeth. Oh, uh, yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. A couple of times. Uh, which I think when you look at our country from here... Uh-huh. It takes on an entirely different. Oh God! Well, I'll talk, I have to put. Yeah, it's a conversation. For yeah, it's a time. conversation for another time. And I do want to talk about your life <laughs> in Los Angeles. I want to talk to you about how the fuck you managed to write an entire new show every year, dude. You write a lot. Well, I've got about a week and a half to finish my new one. So oh, I'll get out of your way. I'm in the hole at the moment. Okay, so <laughs> that's uh, why I've enjoyed talking to you so much. Okay, great. <laughs> so, two two final questions. Yep. Uh, and this is what I, I'll finish the question that you stopped me in the middle of before. You've done uh, critically acclaimed breakfast radio. You've done, uh, as you just mentioned, uh, commercial radio, the absolute opposite spectrum of the kind of radio you can make. And yet now you and me, we're both in this independent broadcasting realm of podcasting where it's not about ratings. It's about right. I'm just going to make the show that is the most authentic to me and the people that resonate that will come and find it. People that don't want it, they won't. And that's totally fine with me. Well, here's what I'm going to say to you, Osha, is that I, the thing that I've always had a problem with the ratings is that they, man, they measure quantity and not quality. So they're not qualitative measurements. And what I mean by that is broadly that 3 million people can watch something, but there's no measurement in those ratings of how, like, you know this from watching, like, even like you look at the numbers for something like Breaking Bad, they're half of the, or they're a third of the numbers that American Idol do or whatever. But it's probably rare that anyone's ever going to say American Idol is my favourite show of all time. Whereas they, you know, you'll find people who say Breaking Bad is my favourite show of all time. Because the people who watched it really watched it and really enjoyed it. The same with House of Cards, you know, only people who have Netflix and not Destroyed all Destroyed my weekend. Right. But you yeah. loved it, right? They made like something crazy. that you love. I think I'm going to have to watch it again. It's it like bands good. all the time. My favourite bands in the world aren't the biggest bands in the world, but they made music and records and stuff. That So what I love about the podcast is that I don't care that it's not as big an audience. My favorite, The podcast audience I love because I can be honest with them. I can say things to them that I couldn't say. We had a conversation on my podcast, Tofop, about a friend of mine, like a person that I grew up with who – and I would just recommend if people are interested in this topic, um, they can go and uh, look it up. It's called uh, An Unexpectedly Serious Conversation. We weren't planning to have it, just me and my friend, and we were talking about a friend of mine who – well, I won't even say what it is, but did something really terrible. And the whole episode is about me processing, like, how do you deal with the fact when someone you like does something that you loathe? It's not something that I could even cover off in stand-up. I've always considered myself like stand-up's what I do. You know, it's my first and foremost love and the thing that I will do forever. But there are topics that I can't even cover off in stand-up that I can spend an hour on a podcast fleshing out the grey areas, having a discussion with someone about was I wrong to feel like this? Was I right to feel like this? So much of radio and media and like the shock culture and always like have a definite opinion. You're going to like this show and you're going to hate this show. But that's not what people are like. People are like, I like this bit about this, but I don't like this bit about this. Like the sports person who's taken all the wickets, but you don't like when he takes his pants off and cheats on his missus, you know. That's what a podcast enables us to do. And I think that the problem with life is that we're not only... So if we just wanted to be happy, that would be fine. But unfortunately, the media has convinced us that we need to be happier than other people. But At he, all times. But here's the trick. Other people are not as happy as you think they are 
or that the media are building them up to so they can tear them back down. We're all imperfect. I heard you talking to Michelle Laurie and you guys had a moment at the end and people should listen to that podcast if they've not listened to it. But you, I think afterwards you felt a bit awkward about that thing. But I thought it was just a classic example of that she wrote something about you when she didn't know you. She had an idea of you. Like we all have this idea of like, you know, because we build up this idea of these people's perfect worlds. But it's okay for us to misjudge someone and then learn something new about them and have a moment. I think that's a better moment. That's a real moment. That's a human moment. You guys just had a moment. It was clear from me listening to that podcast, you had nothing but love and respect for each other. What I got out of that was, isn't it great for not only Osha to be able to have this moment, but isn't it great for Michelle? Because I bet she walked away from that going, like, I once wrote this thing about this person that I didn't know, and now this is a person that I really dig and enjoy hanging out with. I think that's informative for all of us in the way that we judge other people, that we initially judge people. Like, we judge that person who cut us off in traffic for being an asshole. You know what? Maybe they're late for the most important thing in their entire life. You know that person who's grumpy over there and isn't smiling? Maybe... You know, maybe that person laughing in my comedy audience, that isn't about me. <laughs> maybe, you know, like they had a shitty way on the, and I should not obsess with them and like, you know, enjoy the, you know, other people who are enjoying it. I think that it's a really, it's nice to be able to share with people that we are all incredibly like flawed. We're all kind of making it up as we go. We're all terrified. Like Andrew Denton always used to say to me, that there was only one question on enough rope, which was life's hard. How are you coping with it? Because that's all we're trying to do is work out that's what religion is it's people going maybe this will help that's what self-help can be that's what yoga can be that's what people are just looking for and i my philosophy to that stuff is whatever helps you do what you need to get done like you know people will find different ways to to get it but just find something that makes you feel like a good person and pick and choose and anyway we'll have another podcast i'm not going to make a speech like i'm running for politics <laughs> It's look. I'm not even going to ask the second question because that that wrapped it up perfectly. All right. Um, That's why we didn't get to anything because I give too long answers. No, I'm they're sorry. great. And that's the best part about this form. I love it. Um, happy birthday! Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, you turned forty, 40. Uh, two weeks ago. Yep, January thirty first. My friends threw me a surprise party. If I can recommend anything to people out there, it would be. Um, at some stage, have your friends throw you a surprise party. Copy I know that, that you can't... It was... Honestly, there was about 130 people from all over Australia from various parts of my life. And I'm not a person that demands things of my friends because I cannot be there for my friends. The lifestyle I've chosen means that... I like to think that I'm a good friend when I'm there. But, you know, if you're my mate, like my best friend Justin... Like, he, he lives in Melbourne. If he's having a shitty day or a shitty gig, we can't catch up the next day and have a coffee. If one of, I've missed one of my friends, both his weddings. He's been married twice and I've not been to either of them because, you know, they book the wedding at shorter notice than my gigs get booked. You know, like, I know what I'm doing in November this year. Like, my schedule's, you know, full because festivals and stuff like that, you know. So I don't, in return, demand things of my friends. Here's what I would say is one of the nicest things in your world. If people who you love want to tell you that they love you let them it's fucking amazing and the best thing that you can do is let them if people throw you a surprise party you fucking have the best time that you have ever had in your life because that's how you honor that you don't honor it by being a pain in the ass and going oh i don't want this this is such a fuss you don't honor it by storming out the door that's making it more about you it's already about you they just want to say that they love you the best thing that you can do is let them love you I had a really big revelation that night of just going, you know what? Sometimes even just if people want to love you, let them love you. 
Because I think often we put up all these barriers like, oh, no, I'm not worthy of that. Just let them because it's better for them and it's fucking better for you. <laughs> and that's it. Find him on Twitter at Will with one L <laughs> underscore Anderson with an O-N. Yeah, Anderson with an O-N. I have uh, two podcasts. One's called TOFOP, T-O-F-O-P or FOFOP at the moment. But if you want to Google it for the first time, just look up T-O-F-O-P.com. And I have an irregular podcast, which I'm going to get you on at some stage, Osha. You're on my list of guests I would like to have on, um, uh, called Willosophy, where I basically ask someone whether they have a life philosophy. And then we just chat from them. I'm into it. Unreal. Thanks, man. Thanks, mate. I'm going to take, take your photo now. Oh, all right, let's do it. And that's the show, my friends. That is Will Anderson. That's what it's like to sit and have a cup of tea with Will for an hour and a bit. Such a rad guy. Really, really grateful to him for sharing his time with me. He's, as you can hear, a very, very busy man. You can catch him on Twitter at Will Anderson. That's Will with one L underscore Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. He has a few shows left at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival this week. If you can find tickets, good for you. He's also on Nova nationally. I think there's one seat. I think Perth's not taking him think that's it but him and dave hughes doing a show this week uh, and a bunch of other comedians so it should be lovely to have will back on the breakfast radio how much fun how much fun he's a great fellow and um his podcasts are also excellent his willosophy podcast is particularly great but so is the tofop uh, podcast which i highly recommend so yes support independent broadcasting um get on board subscribe to will anderson and um Thank you for being here. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. I hope that I'm giving you what you need. If there's anything you like or don't like about the show, you can talk to me. This is the two-way street. Osher Ginsberg. That's who I am on Twitter. Um, there's also a mail out, which um, you can get on board the mailing list at osherginsberg.com, and I respond to those mails if you have any questions. You can also find me on Facebook, Osher Ginsberg Live on Facebook. Um, that's it. That's the end of the show. Thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for being a part of this part of my broadcasting journey. Um, only in LA for a couple more weeks, then I'm back to Europe and then back to Australia to do Bachelor Season 2, which I'm very excited about. Um, I will have to lose my beard, though. My beard's pretty good right now. It's nice not to have it to shave every day. <laughs> the fellas know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so are the ladies, I'm sure. Hey, um, thank you for being here. I know you're here because I see the stats come in and when I see the stats come in and I see how many people are listening, it really, it warms my heart. I'm really grateful to be able to make this for you. I'm really grateful that you allow me the space to make it. So thank you. Have a great week. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 